Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Ren Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybro, and today we're talking about Out of Salem by Hal Shreve. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that. Enjoy! Good afternoon, Adam. Good afternoon, Ren. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast where I'm not going to introduce it by saying how long it's been. It's fine. Time doesn't exist anymore anyway. Yeah. So so we can't be held accountable for for (laughs) lapses of many months because, you know, it doesn't exist. It's fine. No, what is a month? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But we're here now and we are uh, talking about a recent novel um, called Out of Salem, which is a young adult queer horror novel written by Hal Shreve and published in 2019, which uh, I'm very excited about. Yeah, get Uh, ready for a lot of wholesome content, because it's it's a very good-natured book. You think? Oh, God. Oh, oh, oh. Disagreement (laughs) already. (laughs) Um... I mean, okay. Well, okay. Well, we'll get into it. <laughs> um, I would just say, say that this episode will be, will have spoilers, um, and it's probably more relevant than usual as it was only published uh, a couple of years ago, and does have some plot twists that you might want to experience for yourself. Um, so, if you're interested, I do suggest you read it first, and then this episode will still be here. Um, snazzy and we should maybe also just put a few content warnings at the top of the episode because uh, uh, I mean it's not exactly darker than other things <laughs> we've covered because uh, obviously we did read the Deptford Mice um, but it's uh, more rooted in real life trauma mm. than some things yeah. that we've covered so um, yeah it's it's, it's... Has allegorical elements, but it's always very clear what's being allegor yeah allegoricalized. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's references to family death, uh, bullying, homophobia, kind of threatening bigotry and police violence. I guess some of the main ones. Um, yeah, so um, I found this novel uh, last summer because I was. Uh, ransacking the uh, young adult horror category of my library app Um, and uh, I read a few books that I thought were very good uh, including uh, Wilder Girls by Rory Powers which um, might be a future episode topic Um, uh, but I think Out of Salem was my favourite 
and um, was definitely the queerest. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and kind of in terms of what we've talked about on the podcast so far, I think this reminds me most of um, Witch Week, is the uh, the Diana Wynne Jones novel um, we read a while back. Um, there are bits which felt a little John Wyndamy to me. Yeah, yeah, I can see that too. Definitely this theme of young people or kids up against adult institutions and the adult world mm-hmm. and not being able to know who to trust. And also... I mean, that's like the main theme of our podcast, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, <laughs> and, and also, I guess, kind of... I want to call it like a mini epic. Um, mm-hmm. But like that that's something I think you get in Wyndham, like... like you know, you don't necessarily journey across a great geographic expanse. While you're reading it, it may feel kind of static, but then by the end of it, you actually feel like you have gone on quite a journey. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. The reason I was thinking of Witch Week is the, the kind of atmosphere of it. It sort of has this slightly downbeat, sort of chilly kind of atmosphere. <laughs> um and I think they both sort of share the sense that they're set in a world that's kind of gone wrong somewhere. Like um, in Witch Week, they're sort of burning witches at the stake and in Out of Salem, they're sending zombies to the incineration station. Um, and sort of, yeah, world that's like ours, but something's gone strange. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's interesting because the world definitely is a really cold one. I would agree with that. But I think I found Shreve's authorial voice seems really kind of inclusive and sort of nurturing or encouraging mm. to me. That I might be wrong, but to me, it really feels like a book written by someone who's writing a book for their younger self almost. Uh-huh. Like, like writing a book thinking, this is a book I wish had existed when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And so even though it is bleak, for me, I felt there was, you know, I was, until I guess the last quarter, maybe, reluctant to call it a horror, if I'm honest. Okay. Um, because... I don't know, it's, it's, there's a lot of danger and peril for the characters, and I can see how it is an upsetting read, but at the same time, I always felt like, I never, I felt like the author that she wants the reader to have a pretty nice time. Hmm. Um, it didn't have, so for instance, ostensibly, the water babies, you know, <laughs> should be a much lighter, easier read. <laughs> But it's written by someone who clearly, I don't know, you know, hates, you. <laughs> hates children and hates you, right? <laughs> Whereas, I don't know, reading it, it felt, it, I say, quite a good-natured book, I thought. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I can, I can kind of, I can see what you mean, but I also... I thought it had um, less of the, like, it kind of 
obviously is a kind of found found queer family narrative, but I yeah. found it less on the cosy end of that genre. <laughs> um, yeah. Know, like the, uh, I thought it was, it was quite sort of unsentimental about the characters, you know, like, yeah, they're not particularly nice to each other all the time. <laughs> uh, oh, see, yeah, God, maybe, maybe it's just because I've, I've read so much Megan Mogg during lockdown <laughs> um, so I do want and, and if, you're, if you're under 18 listening to this you probably shouldn't read Megan Morg if I'm <laughs> honest um, I mean I guess you might anyway but um, but Meg, Megan Morg during lockdown um, I guess the characters are so vile to each other and <laughs> yeah. I, I did read that every day Okay. Simon Hanselman's, you know, work rate is ridiculous. So he managed to do it every day for like the last half a year or something. Yeah. And that might have somewhat messed (laughs) up my sense of how characters should treat each other. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, the characters haven't left each other dead in a dumpster. They're they're really nice. So so from a spectrum of Steven Universe to Megan Mogg, this is somewhere in the middle. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um. That's maybe what gave it a slightly like 90s feel to me uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, is the way the characters talk to each other like um, that uh, sometimes almost brought to mind uh, like House of Stairs uh-huh, yeah, for instance yeah. you know and, 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 and the, these characters who yeah some of them are kind of sympathetic but yeah mm-hmm. you know they they don't always say or do nice things <laughs> yeah um, and uh, to clarify, this is set in the 90s. Um, I didn't realise this uh, until about halfway through the book <laughs> on the first read. Um, uh, it's not kind of, it's not like thrown in your face. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's not going full like, oh, what, what what's that show that's set in the 80s? Stranger Things. <laughs> you know, I think it is written to a modern teen audience yeah like you know it's not written for millennials to read and be nostalgic about reading uh-huh, uh-huh. um but yeah um yeah in certain 90s um the characters are monsters <laughs> in a in a secretly monsters in a small town that hates them um it's kind of where we're where we're starting um i think the book has a really great opening line um <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> I've been doing quite a lot of creative writing recently, and uh, I just want to give props to this opening line, which is, uh, the morning of the funeral, Z's Uncle Hugh made eight pots of bitter coffee. I'm like, yeah, that's that's great. <laughs> like, one sentence, we have an intriguing event, we've got two characters with names, and, like, just the phrase, like, eight pots of bitter coffee, that sounds great, suggests mm. atmosphere. Yeah. Good, good work. Um, and it's a faintly so- southern gothic as well. Uh-huh. Like, it feels like it would be out of place in Faulkner or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we've got this funeral. Um, there's been an accident. Uh, Z, our main character, is uh, is still here, but the rest of their family have died, and Uncle Hugh is their only relative. Um, and on the, the second page, we see the results of a a quiz that that Z has taken from a website called 
uh, transsexual.org uh, classifying their gender identity as androgen. Um, so although other characters call them Susan sometimes and she, uh, they are really Z and they, um, and the narrative calls them that. Um, yeah, I found it interesting that because it's set in the 90s, uh, and maybe a little jarring, I was wondering what you thought of it, and the fact that obviously transsexual tends to be the term that's used in the book. Yes, well... Um, which uh, isn't used as much now. I know it's... it's I think getting somewhat has come back. Yes, it's use. getting a, a bit of a revival among some some people, but but um, is not generally considered the term. Um, but it was in the 90s. It was uh, yeah. pretty common. Um, uh, there was a 90s like sort of radical trans organization called Transsexual Menace, um, who... Um, who were about and who um, did things like uh, kind of protested at the funeral of um, Brandon Tina, who was um, uh, murdered, um, the trans trans man who was murdered. Um, uh, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, <laughs> it's period accurate. I, uh, I definitely saw some Goodreads uh, reviewers objecting to it, but um <laughs> Uh, trans terminology changes like every five minutes so um i think you can't really expect a book set 30 years ago to have terminology that everyone's happy with now <laughs> sure yeah um so yeah 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 i mean i was i thought that was useful i was worried that there would be too much info dumping in the book and there there definitely isn't mm. um so you know it it doesn't feel because i think it's partly um on the back it uh, the review from cat fitzpatrick um here says shrewd's books much more than just a good young adult read it's also in the best possible sense an educational experience huh. um and when i read that i thought oh is this going to be you know, kind of edutainmenty in a way, um, and it, it doesn't read like that actually. Um, no. You know, it might be education, like a, a kind of emotional education, possibly, or you know, um, a young reader might find things that resonate with them, or you know, terms that make sense to them, or help them make sense of stuff. But mm. you know, I, I, it, it's certainly not like really overtly educational. I wouldn't no, say. no, not at all. Um, I think it definitely. I think it airs on the um are on the leaving things a mystery side of the exposition curve you know yeah i'd agree um yeah um so yeah you you get just this little bit about little like printout that z's um got from the internet but that's really and they, they talk to you know they talk to people throughout the book a bit about their gender but it's not like yeah sit down kids we're learning here um, yeah it, it feels perfectly integrated and it's mm. you know a facet of z's character um along with lots of other facets mm. um the characterization was probably my favorite thing about mm. the book yeah i did find the characters believable um yeah and i think i felt like i grew to understand them more over the course of the book yeah. basically which it's nice, you know, young adult fiction doesn't always achieve that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with with also a fair bit of plot as well. You know? like, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's definitely 
not like I think the pacing at the start is a little the I felt it settled right so at the start I thought there were bits which felt very fast and then a bit slower mm-hmm. um I definitely got into it the more I read like I felt by about a quarter of the way in it really found its groove and yeah mm. yeah um yeah so though Z is a still here after the accident they are not alive um and the way we find that out is this is this scene in the church that actually really made me like literally gasp in in shock when i first read it um, i think it's amazing <laughs> um, so um, i'm gonna read a bit um, hugh makes uh, z go to church and um, as the service goes on their eye starts itching and then um, says their right eye suddenly really hurt. They reached up to touch the contact lens and pull it out, but they couldn't find where the lens ended and their eye began. They began poking at their eye, aware that several people were still staring. They poked their finger into their eye. The contact lens would not move. As he scraped at their eyeball with two fingers instead, hoping to gain purchase on the small rubbery lens, suddenly Z's right eyeball came out into their hand. They stared down with their left eye. It took a moment to figure out what it was. There was some gooey blood on their palm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this novel goes pretty hard on the body horror, um, which uh, I'm into. Yeah, I, I thought it was fun. I'm <laughs> 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 honest. Um, P- P- Peter said that happened to his gran. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think it's church. Uh, I think she was on the phone and she'd been pressing it on her eye and she just popped it out. And, yeah, and and apparently, um, apparently she could still she could still see with the out of its socket. So the the description in the book um, with Z still able to see even though the eye was dangling is accurate. So that's good to know as well. Another educational aspect. <laughs> so I'm like, this was this was shocking, and Adam's like, well, yeah, sounds like an everyday event to me. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know if uh, Peter's gran was a zombie, but um, Z is a zombie. Just uh, oh, oh, as I am technically. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, revelation, <laughs> listeners. Um, your your co-host Adam is is I think technically a zombie because I did die um, for like. I like I stopped so I, I as as you know I was born like three months prem, mm. um, and I was very delicate. Was in an incubator and such, and yeah, my my heart stopped and my breathing stopped um, for I think over three minutes. Wow! Which I think means technically I medically died. Um, don't quote me on that, but I remember my mum saying something <laughs> of the sort. Um, so. Yeah, well... Yeah, you know, um, we, we, we zombies walk among. Them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. Um, Thanks, yeah. Um, hmm. You know, just living my life being a zombie. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, when um, when Sue's uncle uh, sees that uh, Sue's popped their, their eye out of their socket... Um, he gets uh, very angry and like starts shaking them for causing a scene. Um, and uh, an elderly woman uh, called Mrs. Dunnigan uh, steps in to be his caretaker instead. Um, 
Yeah, I, I really liked C's relationship with Mrs. Dunnigan. Um, I found it quite poignant. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Mrs. Dunnigan's great. Yeah, she's great. Um, so <laughs> that, that helps. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked that it's simultaneously nurturing but not sentimental. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's Mrs. Dunnigan yeah, is quite elderly. She's running a bookshop. Um, she's not in the best health and she kind of tries to look after Z, but her flat's a mess and they like end up eating pickles and toast for dinner. <laughs> and at one point she says, um, we both have to work hard to stay alive, don't we? <laughs> uh, which I really liked. And um, that kind of felt like one of the themes of the book, like, you know, for lots of reasons, the characters have to work quite hard to stay alive. Yeah. yeah, whether it's because of disability or old age or because of other people's cruelty. Or, um, I liked it. Yeah, um, she reminded me, Miss Dunnigan, of some of the kind of more experienced older activists in Extinction Rebellion that I've met. Yeah. Um, like like the ones who, you know, be, been, you know were, were hippies back in the 60s <laughs> um, and have, have been at it for, for years and years and years. Yeah, she reminds me a little bit of my um, 90-something-year-old Francesca, who um, is a Quaker, who um, when, whenever I talk to her, <laughs> so starts conversations like, so, Ren, what, what do you think the meaning of life is? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love her. Um, <laughs> um, well, one of the members of the Unitarian congregation, um, Beryl, um, who's also in her 90s and always says that her long life is due to her drinking Guinness. <laughs> she says, says that if she's ever interviewed, by my, what, how, tell us the secret of how you've lived so long and she's going to say that it's Guinness. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is a, a hardcore old people appreciation con, uh, podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> particularly um, queer ones. Uh, Mrs. Dunnigan is a lesbian <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, and, and Z makes a friend as well. Yes, I mean, Z makes a friend uh, uh, eventually called uh, Azel, who. Um, they're quite suspicious of each other at first, but eventually uh, come to be friends. Um, who's the sort of the other main protagonist? Um, who is an unregistered werewolf? Um, only uh, only her mom knows that she's a werewolf. Um, in the sort of Azel um, storyline, we um, we sort of see her meeting the first other werewolf she's ever met, who. Um, and a couple of older teenagers called Chad and Elaine um, who are both runaways kind of living nomadically to avoid detection and electric shock therapy Um, and um, yeah Elaine kind of explains to Azel and the readers kind of what what the general situation is like for for young werewolves and she says um, for most of us, it's like a little hospital, a touch of juvie, and then more hospital till your brain turns black and your magic curls up inside your muscles and dies. I'd run away before I was old enough to get shocked more than twice a year, and even then my magic got pretty messed up. I still have, like, magic arthritis and a bunch of pain problems. Um, so this is kind of, is kind of generally how we find out about, about the world 
of the story. It's just these mm. little snippets of things that people say, um, um, which, uh, yeah, but it's really interesting, the bits we get. Um, <laughs> like, um, the like from a school lesson, you know, and like Virginia Woolf and Ernest Hemingway were werewolves. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, we learn uh, there were werewolf riots in the 1920s and then uh, a generation of radical werewolves in the 1960s that the, the government um, put down. Um, on, on the sort of zombie front, there's a, another school lesson talking about um, 300, in 1891, 300 warlocks of Irish and Chinese descent employed by Northern Pacific who had assisted in the construction of the railroad through Stampede Pass went on strike after their wages were withheld. Their numbers were not significant enough to prevent the use of the railroad, so they raised a group of 40 dead former citizens who were buried in the cemeteries of Portland and Clackamas. <laughs> it's just great. I... Yeah, I like the kind of precision of it and like how kind of every day mm-hmm. it is as well. Like It makes it really convincing. Yeah, it's it's, it's great um, world building. Um um yeah we we sort of learn because there's later there's um sort of anti-monster reactionary protests in the town and we learn that in new york werewolves have to observe a curfew on their nights adjacent to the full moon and have to lock themselves inside during it um and um and from mrs dunnigan we we learn a little bit about sort of history beyond the united states with their she was in Ireland, um, and uh, their relation to magical beings, how um, kind of in becoming a republic, they distanced themselves from sort of the British hostility to magic and um, accepted people like shapeshifters and selkies. And I was like, ah, mm. yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was really nice. Uh, I mentioned to Antonia that... It was really nice to see Selkies in an American young yeah. adult yeah. fiction novel. I, that was unexpected, and oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, yeah, I just I just thought it showed like the sort of yeah, just 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 even even like as gestures of interest to out, outside of America's borders. I thought that was cool. Mm. Hmm. Um. I think I don't know. I won't recount the whole plot because I think I'm trying to do a thing where I don't spend half the episode reading out a plot summary. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I think your plot summaries are very good. Uh, okay. Um, I, I do have notes, so if you... But um, I feel... I, I worry I'm boring people just like, and then this happened, and then this happened. Um, but um, we can... Um, I think there's there's quite a lot to talk about, sort of thematically, and uh, can uh, describe bits of the plot as we go. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um, <laughs> uh, I um, I love the, uh, the the wolf gut scene. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that was really great. It's a really convincing nineties scene. Yeah, um, um, this is the. Um, Later in the book, Aesol uh, meets up with uh, Elaine and sort of visits the house where Elaine and the other mostly werewolves are squatting in. Um, and some of them are making a zine called Wolf Guts 3, which um, 
<laughs> it includes things like uh, where to get healthcare legally or illegally, which doctors to see if you feel like you want to try experimental drugs, how to avoid cops, where to go during moons, that kind of thing. And uh, some of the articles are punk rock and lycanthropy, how I survive prison, the real history of werewolves. It's just, I want to read this scene. It sounds great. <laughs> yeah, that would be a great, a great little tie-in promotional. Uh, I actually like. I looked. I was like, has anyone made this? You know, could... <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe you're the person. You know, maybe you, you know, if 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 you're listening to this, how Shreve? And thank you if you are. You know, I, I can't think of a better person to make such a thing as myself. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's um made me very happy um, <laughs> um yeah um i guess um we can talk a bit about about the queerness the uh, of it um as um yeah uh <laughs> it is obviously a quite a a big a big thing about the book is that there are there is a wide range of queer and trans characters in this novel. Um, uh, we have uh, Z, who is a uh, genderqueer, it's androgen. We have uh, Azel and Mrs. Dunnigan are lesbians. Um, Chad and Elaine are a trans guy and a trans woman. Um, and yeah, I, <laughs> for you know, I was a. We're both teenagers, and like the early mid 2000s and uh i haven't got used to this level of representation (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's 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 really true um (laughs) that i I like i don't know i like the fact as i said it feels really integrated and like they also you know felt like queer 14 year olds Mm -hmm. to make characters um, like I guess, I guess you know, almost what's worth talking about is is the fact that it's, you know, it it it's just done in a really nice, straightforward, mm-hmm. and I think quite nurturing sort of way. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, may, 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 maybe because it's you know it's very much written by a queer author rather than you know it's clearly not committee written right Mm -hmm. like it clearly hasn't been written with a hey how do we expand our markets to reach the queer demographic (laughs) yeah um which is when i think stuff does feel forced or or you know just insincere and because there's not a hint of that Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah no i mean like it does it does feel like incredibly just yeah, of course. The <laughs> it's, you know, it's queer characters. People are queer. People are trans. It's uh, you know, and yeah. But then you know, I just like have to stop for a moment and be like, wait a moment, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I am non-binary. I don't. I feel like I don't. <laughs> Hello, I'm coming out in episode thirty-eight. Um, but um. This may, maybe hasn't actually come up on the podcast before, but um, um, having a, a genderqueer character who uses they them pronouns is it's just cool. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah representation matters. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, uh, I think Hal Shreve does uh, does a really great job. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm. <laughs> um. Like it, it's interesting. I think I don't know how I'm going to exp- express this. Okay, like it's not super. So the writing style is pretty straightforward. I would say, which doesn't mean it's bad. I think sometimes it's very effective. Um, I probably like little more fruity writing than you know, like, I, I do like some purple prose if I'm honest yeah <laughs> so sometimes it was a little bit sort of straightforward and plain in its style my tastes but at the same time okay I think one of maybe the danger I don't know if it's a danger maybe one of the dangers of like queer culture online and like I guess the mass popularity of things like RuPaul's Drag Race is a kind of maybe over aestheticization mm-hmm. and that you know obviously aesthetics are super important you know mm-hmm. i want to say aesthetics don't matter um but you know they're they're one thing amongst many and i think sometimes um you know ju- you know hyper focus on aesthetics can i don't know obscure other things like, I, I i don't know i guess what i'm saying is i like the fact that these characters aren't like necessarily super cool or anything <laughs> like you know, they're not always managing to be fabulous and living their best lives, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like, like it's not like, it's it's not like some wildly aspirational read, say. Yeah, and it's not, <laughs> neither is it, like, total queer trauma. Like, they're all, like, having a horrible time specifically because they're queer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. I think it manages to. Yeah, it doesn't do either of those things. Yeah, and it also manages to. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it, it threads it threads the needle quite well between you know like the. You know the 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 monst the, the, the they are monsters, <laughs> and you know. Uh, you know how it's kind of easy to use like being monsters as a as an allegory for being queer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. And like uh in this book they are monsters and queer and we get some sort of interesting interactions of those two things, right? That these <laughs> um yeah. Um yeah, I I like I really like the fact that it because that was my fear when I started reading. Right, mm. that it was going to be heavy-handed, and that mm. you just have this sort of allegory, which was quite potentially an obvious one, one that's been done before. Um, but it doesn't quite work in an allegorical way, I think. Mm. Which you know, which is really to the novel's credit. Yeah, obviously, it's always drawing these parallels, but yeah, it as you say, like they are queer and monsters. Mm. Um, yeah. Um... We get yeah, like a. Well, I, I don't know. This was maybe the only one that I thought like a, a glimpse of kind of how the sort of magic of the world intersects with the, uh, um, uh, being trans specifically was uh, was it like a throwaway comment by Elaine talking about uh, well-off trans women who were getting potion treatments and magical alterations, and I was like, oh wow, I want to hear more. You know, <laughs> what a level like how does. 
yeah, how does being trans work in this this world? But there's, you know, anyway. Mm. Yeah, as you say, the world building tends to be sort of glimpsed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the references and gestures that are made, um, these hints you get in lines of dialogue rather than being explicitly descriptive like yeah there is a lot of dialogue. i think it's this admirably restrained really because you could really go off on a whole thing about <laughs> about trans magical <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah thanks it's definitely a book that invites fan fiction oh yeah like you know like gosh if this book becomes really popular <laughs> i can really imagine that a lot of fanfic being written out of this yeah um <laughs> Um, shall we texture it? Yeah, go on then. Uh, what, what do I... Oh, I've got something to slosh around, which uh, <laughs> which is good because of the selkies in this book. So. Oh, yeah, okay. I was sloshing a bottle of ink, but I don't know if I heard it at all. Oh, nice. Mm. There was some days old water. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I've got quite a simple one, but Mm -hmm. an effective one, um, which is the cobwebby texture um, when Z um, experiences the invisibility spell. Ooh, yeah. Because I thought I've encountered lots of invisibility spells in, you know, in fantasy books and films, um, etc. But I've never, to my memory, heard it described in terms of what it would feel like as a physical sensation. Mm. Especially, um, or not, I say, not, not that I remember. And I just really like that, um, the idea of it feeling like a kind of, cobweb kind of draped around one like a sort of cobweb armour hmm. um, yeah uh, I found really uh, evocative and, and worked for me in terms of imagining what it might feel like to have this invisibility magic working on you yeah yeah what about you? well um, I actually need to explain a bit of plot to um, <laughs> to, to talk about my one which is um, one, one of the main bits of plot really is that um, Zu has brought back um from the dead but uh because the mother put a spell on them but um but the spell wasn't particularly well done and z's body is uh degrading um and um without renewing it z would eventually sort of just crumble to bits um so um so so one of yeah the main plot threads is that um z um trying to find a spell that can prolong their life um, in this environment where any um, information about necromancy or about the condition of being a zombie is highly forbidden. Um, so, um, yes, as you, as you mentioned, they, um, with uh, help from um, a teacher, Mr. Weber, they um, sneak into the library um, to try and steal the uh, books on necromancy. Um, uh, <laughs> this is explaining so much plot, but uh, they, find, <laughs> they find they're already it's gone. Okay. The, the plots, the books aren't, the books aren't there. But um, um, 
uh, and um, Mr. Weber ends up getting arrested. But then uh, Tommy, who's a character we haven't talked about yet, um, who's sort of the third kind of main kid character, um, who is um, yeah another kid at school who um, is uh, bullied for being kind of weird and effeminate. Um, it turns out that he stole the books. Um, and so, um, he, uh, he gives one to Z so they can make the spell to, to renew, to renew the, um, uh, to renew the spell that's keeping them alive. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <Right>. Yep. yep. <laughs> so they do it and there's a potion and, uh, the potion is my texture. Hey, um, the potion on their tongue was sweet and bitter at once. There was something happening in their mouth. It started with a buzzing that filled the spaces between their teeth like mechanical bees and a drumming sound in their chest. Then it spread. Their forehead ached with novel temperatures, icy and then hot, their veins seared. So you suddenly felt their hands against the dirt of the ground. They had fallen over. It seemed like there was water seeping into them, like their flesh had become a sponge. Oh, spongy flesh. Spongy flesh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of a... Uh, <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot of good Z textures, but that's one of the, the less horrible ones. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> we kind of get all these sort of... Before they take the potion, we get these uh, vivid descriptions of them kind of coughing up black sludge from <laughs> deep in their lungs and sort of getting kind of dark spots of blood under their skin and kind of stumbling because they can't feel their feet. Um, it's, uh, yeah, quite, uh, I don't know, I thought, I thought that was, yeah, pretty effective and unsettling, mm. the descriptions of, um, uh, yeah, of Z's sort of degrading. Um... Yeah, I mean, it feels like being in your thirties, eh? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really like how those descriptions are almost always from Z's point of view. Mm. Um, so the body horror is really sort of coming from Z. Like, it's not... Because mm. one of the risks of the body horror is that it really others the character, right? Or makes them kind of grotesque mm. and, and alien um, you know I think this is like the issue with David Cronenberg's work mm -hmm. right in that on some level it feels like it's embracing radical otherness <laughs> and it's really excited by body horror but on another level it feels like it has this kind of weird conservative kind of bent to it where you know we should feel disgusted by deformity yeah, and, yeah. and you know so, so there's this sort of odd tension between, you know, whether if you watch like David Cronenberg's body horror, like, you know, whether these are progressive or conservative, it's really hard to tell. Mm -hmm. um, whereas what I liked here is that it's not other characters looking at Z and describing their body. Yeah. It's, it's very much about how Z is experiencing this. Um, I thought that was really effective and um, a classy way of doing body horror. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I hadn't considered that, but it's true. Um, we do like occasionally get characters kind of reacting in sort of shock to, to Z's appearance, but it's not 
we don't it doesn't linger over what what they see that they think is horrifying yeah. about Z you know mm. it's just Z sort of sees them kind of double take at, at you know yeah 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 mm. yeah yeah I, th- I think that's really good I actually think that's you know actually quite innovative like um, you know I think Shreve's could have found a way there to do body horror in a way that doesn't feel kind of ableist um, or regressive. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, which I actually think is, <laughs> is quite quite a notable thing. Yeah. So, so great job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that because hmm. I do, I do. Um, that that is the tension with body horror, right? Like, I yeah. I enjoy it, but it's also it can get gross. Um, and like I kind of there's you know things that I felt have have crossed that line like um you know like attack on Titan <laughs> uh, oh yeah I've, no, I've never my my students talk hmm. about it but I've never I you know I, I know what it is but yeah, I've never yeah. Actually watched it um I don't know I felt I, I don't know if it was the second or third series because there's these Titans that sort of big monster people um and i just like after a while i felt it the way they were depicting these kind of monstrous bodies and like the way they looked and the way they moved it just kind of felt like it was kind of shading into like ableism really just like Oh, they they move in this atypical way, kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah. isn't that horrifying? Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely something that I mean, it's something I've seen in anime and manga sometimes. Mm. Um, like, I'm definitely a big Junjito fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are Junjito comics which I think move into that. And the, if you're to read them with a critical eye, say, yeah, actually, this is ableism. Mm. And, you know, it's not okay. You know, I, I, I guess it depends the degree to which you're kind of abstracting it from sort of everyday reality. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you know, like, this is always one of the issues <laughs> of horror, right? <laughs> because often, often if you're writing something about what we're scared of, you know, reactionary... Politics and positions are often coming out of uh-huh. fear and ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that that's kind of a tricky thing, right? And especially if you're then going to sort of make the stuff aesthetic and mm. be reveling in... I mean, you know, if you think, if we think right back to, like, Todd Browning's Freaks or something, mm. like, you know, that's, that's a film that... I've seen both sides, people arguing that actually... You know that the the, the um, performers in the film are treated with a certain kind of dignity, and that you know they're clearly not the real freaks of the title, mm. and you know the able-bodied characters behave in far more vile ways, and yet at the same time, clearly if you look at the cinematography, there's shots in that film where the performers, you know, are 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 being lit and shot in such a way as to look grotesque and scary Mm -hmm. you know same thing with uh, American Horror Story Freak Show Mm. 
Um, so, so yeah, you know, horror, horror can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of a digression. Mm, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah. Um, there's also some kind of interesting stuff with um, Z and Azel and um, they're kind of, you know, they, you know, they come to be very close, but they kind of have a have this sort of suspicious relationship with each other, with each other at first because um, they're kind of just thrown together by Mr. Weber um, and they're sort of both convinced that the other has no idea what they're going through, um, which is, is it's kind of true, right? Because like Azel has kind of known that she's considered a monster for her whole life and is also further othered by uh, being fat and being Turkish in a very white small town, um, but uh, she does have like a loving mother who's protecting her, and um, Z is kind of now sort of newly monstrous and kind of alone in the world apart from Mrs. Dunnigan. Um, uh, yeah, and I think I think that's. Um, it's done quite well, like the sort of tensions between their experiences and how they, you know, navigate that and kind of they get sort of upset and frustrated at each other for not kind of understanding, you know, each other's position, but they also form quite a deep solidarity. Yeah, yeah, I like that it, you know, it shows, you know, mutual solidarity is possible, but it's not easy yeah <laughs> necessarily <laughs> um um yeah do we want to talk about um the kind of a sort of end of the the kind of ending sort of bit like the last sort of yeah acts of the book um to, d- to a degree i mean mm. so you've mentioned that Azel sort of falls in with, makes friends with um, these two homeless werewolves. Mm. And they're sort of part of this loose anarchist commune, mm. I suppose, uh, making these scenes. Um, most of whom are werewolves, there are some kind of hangers on. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, running through the book, there's this sort of fear, this sort of fear and bigotry that um, some of the townspeople have against werewolves. Mm. This is sort of escalating Mm -hmm. and being kind of uh, stoked up by the media, basically. Yeah. Um, And then there's a police raid, basically, Mm. towards the end of the book. And I I guess that's what sort of sets in motion the events of of the book's last act. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because someone, um, uh, someone's been killed earlier in the book by, or no, was it was someone was bitten by a werewolf and then the werewolf was shot. Yes, I think that's happened, and then yeah, and then someone's killed and werewolves are accused. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So then, the police raid this uh, this werewolf squad. Um, 
and um yeah it's uh uh yeah intense um mm, it is it's an upsetting scene yeah um you know police are armed and like z is outside smoking and manages to escape and elaine and azel just just managed to get away together but um the next day they find out on the news that um you know three three of the people there were shot dead um including chad the um who elaine was traveling with um and the rest of them were arrested um yeah and it's kind of um it's sort of yeah at this point kind of z um they've been getting closer with tommy um and he but he sort of turns up and tells uh z azel and elaine his secret um which is that he's a shapeshifter and had been getting experimental treatment from archie pagan who's uh, the therapist who was killed earlier in the book um and he he'd um He'd stolen the books from the library by um, shapeshifting into animals, um, but um, yeah, he re- <laughs> like like the animorphs. Yeah, like an animorph. Um, <laughs> um, but he reveals that it was um, it was actually him who killed Archie Pagan. After during a session, he shapeshifted into a kind of massive lion, and um, uh, and then kind of and then he panicked and buried the body in the woods and then werewolves were accused but um he also tells them that there was a hidden back room in Archie Pagan's office where where this treatment happened and where Archie kept his files on werewolves and that he didn't think the cops had found it yet um so they decide to break in um <laughs> and they uh they kind of find this hidden room and it's sort of wrecked and blood splattered and uh they nearly get caught by a receptionist who calls the police but they get out and kind of Azel sort of destroys this uh, chair where which is where people are, get strapped in to be shocked and sort of sets the building on fire um, and they get away but they um, then they see on the news that they didn't manage to fully destroy the evidence and, uh, and now the police have a lead um, so um, oh yeah so we haven't we haven't mentioned is that um, we mentioned Selkies, but we haven't mentioned that Mrs. Dunnigan turns out to be a Selkie, um, <laughs> um, and she she's been um, involved in this sort of anti werewolf plot line because her book short her bookstore has um has had a like window display about werewolf rights and it's had you know a speaker saying like oh maybe you know we should treat werewolves all right and so she's been targeted and. Um, and like her store, um, has window smashed in, I think. Um, but, um, so these people are after her and they, um, she gets mailed a crate, which um, turns out to be her seal skin. Um, so, um, um, if uh, you're not familiar with the, uh, Selkie, um, uh, Selkie myth, um, I'm, I'm quite familiar with, I have a book called the people of the sea, which is all Selkie stories. Um, Oh, wow. But yeah, it's a kind of Scottish and Irish, um, and uh, they're sort of women who come out who are seals. So they they come out of the sea and they um, leave their their seal skin. But then, um, if their skin, seal skin is returned to them, they have to return to the water. Um, so as soon as she gets her skin, she's compelled to go back. Um, 
Um, so, you know, Mrs. Dunnigan leaves really abruptly. Um, so Z's alone. Um, and there's quite a, a nice little passage about that. It says, uh, Z thinking, um, by now the water would have come up and closed over her head. By now she would be far out in the deep, salty, clean sea. sea. Z prayed there was no oil slicks near the coast. Z thought of the miles of water, so cold and dark, and the sky above the sea, grey, and shivered. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Mrs. Dunnigan's gone back to the sea. Um, so Z's kind of in, in Mrs. Dunnigan's flat alone and kind of tries to go back there after the the werewolf raid, but um, the police are outside. Um, so the only thing they can think to do is to go and see Mr. Weber. Um, and he kind of ushers Z and Elaine and Tommy in, but tells them that it might be worse for them to come in because since uh, since he was arrested at the library, he's been under surveillance. Um, and he kind of, he says he'll, he'll put a cloaking spell on them and drive them to the train station and so they can get a night train to California. Um, the, the, the kind of the only other option is to sort of undo the spell that's been holding Z's body together, which will kind of let off enough um, enough energy to transport everyone magically away. Um, so, um, yeah, Mr. Weber's car starts to break down. Um, a police officer comes by to see what's going on, sort of not suspecting them, but there's this kind of this monitoring orb that's going around, like um, that's like re- patrolling the the street where Mr. Weber lives, um, and uh, and so their cover story gets exposed, and Mr. Weber's uh, about to get arrested, but uh, makes a portal and disappears, and. Um, just before he goes, he um, he undoes the spell on Z. Um, yeah, um, something happens. <laughs> like, um, can you explain, Adam? Um, police cars are on fire. Yeah. Um. Tommy's shape-shifting back and forth. Um, like, yeah. Every, uh, I'm ripping the space-time. Some, yeah, there's a, huge, there's a huge amount of energy and kind of... Chaos. Chaos. <laughs> shape-shifting, galaxies, stars, magic, the universe. Um, <laughs> and... Sort of when when it all settles again, they're still there, but there's no one. There's there's no one there. There's they're they're in a they're in a wood. <laughs> they're in yeah. The the city's disappeared, <laughs> um, and. Uh, they start to walk towards the ocean. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it sort of ends on this slightly melancholy mm. note. Um, hard to know if it's leaving itself open for a sequel or not. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, they they yeah they walk. The three of them, three of them, four of them. Three. I was thinking four of them. Four, four, four three, four of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the four of them, and the four of them yeah. in this. Uh, in this odd new environment. And, um. <laughs> Maybe they've got transported to a better world, a softer world. Yeah. Um. I'll just read a bit. It says, um. They picked their way down the last rocky incline and landed on the hard brown wet beach. The water crashed onto the shore, dredging out brown and green seaweed and leaving on its retreat open pores in the air through which clams squirted. Aesol stood up and looked out at it. It had been years since she had been to the sea. As he turned to her, the first light of morning illuminated their face. I think today is going to be better than yesterday, they said. And that's the end. <laughs> um... <laughs> uh... And I think that's the end of my notes as well. Um, and po- possibly the end of the episode. And possibly the end, even the end of the episode. Yeah. Unless we have any final thoughts. Um, um, well, with the um, perhaps unsurprising revelation that Joss Whedon was just really horrible and harassing and bullying on the set of Buffy. Mm. You know, the, the, this could be the kind of replacement, maybe, to Buffy, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, a, a Netflix version of this uh, with many series. <laughs> could, could, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, with that and with, um, obviously, uh, the nonsense of jk rowling we we need our own queer <laughs> queer fantasy <laughs> um yeah and and yeah i do think um and i'm, I'm so i wasn't I, I wasn't sure at first but i really i really did warm to it a lot mm. um i think it's yeah a, a very nifty book yeah no i think it's great and i think um i feel like um if i reread it again i'm gonna find just find more interesting things, um, little tidbits, and maybe I'll even write my own fan fiction for it at some point. Ah, there you go. that'd be great. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Awesome. Um, so I'll just uh, uh, our credits. Um, our intro music is Maki Yamazaki. Our outro music is Joe Kelly. Our artwork is Letty Wilson. Um, you you can find us on Twitter at Still Scared Pod. Um, or potentially email us at stillscaredpodcast at gmail.com, although I admit I haven't checked it in a while. Um, no, maybe, God, maybe remind me of the password. I'll check. <laughs> I, I haven't. I've been, I had loads of emails. Can you imagine? Oh, like, God. We got into it during lockdown. We had loads of emails. We hadn't replied. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you, I'm sorry. I really am sorry if you've emailed us because uh, yeah, have not checked that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Obviously, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you want. Fine, no pressure, but you know, it's nice. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, do you have a sign off for us, Adam? Uh, oh gosh, um, <laughs> I, I, I was 
Well, well I was just going to say that, you know, young listeners, we're not boomers, okay? <laughs> we're, we're millennials. <laughs> just, just, just because I've had, you know, a couple of my students, I've had a bit of, I've had an okay boomer or two, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, you know, I made an Animorphs reference. Yeah. We're, I, would, I wouldn't have done that if I was We are firmly millennials, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, you know, we have way too many neuroses to be boomers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Did you do the credits? Yes. Yes, I just did. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, 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 that's all then. Okay, thank <laughs> Bye everyone. So sign off, Adam. Adam, we want a sign off. Oh, monster, monster. There you go. Monster, monster. See you later. Speak again. <laughs> Bye. Bye.